Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. Bless your people. We need you, Lord. 
We need a word from heaven. We need to know, oh God, your plans for us. We need to hear a word from you. You're such an awesome God. God of our past. God of our present. God of our future. We give you all praise, all honor, and all glory because you are worthy to be praised. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. All of us are a touch away from COVID-19. A touch away. But because we serve an everlasting and merciful God, here we are, the privilege of worship. There are people on the streets of New York in bags because there's no space in the funeral homes. There are people dying every day, and here we are in the house of the Lord, and the Lord is worthy to be praised. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse number 19, the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, for the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. The people promised they said, we will not neglect the house of our God. My sermon title is a worthy response to God's amazing grace. A worthy response. There are three things that Nehemiah teaches us here, is that we must apply God's standards to our daily lives and separate from the world. We must renew our commitment and our covenant to God daily and observe the Sabbath. And we must acknowledge reliance upon God's amazing grace because the truth is that we're all here because of God's amazing grace. I've been meditating on this chapter all week long and it has caused me to do more reading about love and what it really is and what it really looks like. In the book, Meditations of the Heart, Howard Thurman, a poet, philosopher, and theologian, writes a poem called Thou Shalt Love. Thou shalt love thy God, and there must be for me a deep sense of relatedness to God, and this relatedness is the way by which there shall open for me more and more springs of energy and power which will enable me to thread life's mysteries with life's clue. It is this and this alone that will make it possible for me to stand anything that life can or may do to me. I shall not waste any effort in trying to reduce God to my particular logic. Hence, in the quietness, I shall give myself in love to God. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. How must I seek? ever the maintenance of the kind of relatedness to others that will feed the springs of kindness and sympathy in me. I shall study how I may be tender without being soft, gracious without being ingratiating, kind without being sentimental, and understanding without being judgmental. Here in the quietness I shall give myself in love to my neighbors. I shall love thyself. I must learn to love myself with detachment, 
I must have no attitude toward myself that contributes to my own delinquency. I shall study how so to love myself that in my attitude toward myself I shall be pleasing to God and face with confidence what he requires of me. Here in the quietness I give myself over to the kind of self-regard that will make me whole and clean in my own sight and in the sight of God. Thou shalt love thy God, thy neighbor, thyself. I don't know about you, but love is one of the great mysteries of the world. And if the truth be told, the world is a bit confused about what love really is. In a world confused about what we love, it's, it's critical for us to understand and uphold the Bible's definition of love. A great place to start is with the most famous passage on the topic, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Paul said that if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Paul said, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He said that love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Paul said in verse number 11, Kelly, that when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the way of childhood behind me. But now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even I am fully known. And now these three, Paul says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In other words, church, it's time for us to get love right. It's time for us to understand love according to God's standards. It's time for us to embrace agape love, understanding that love is not frivolous and love is not moody and love is not contingent upon how you feel. In English, we have one word for love. I love you, I love the movie, I love ice cream, I love your shoes, I love your hair, I love your smile, I love the way you walk, I love the way you talk, ha ha ha. The original languages of the Bible, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew have many different words for love. The unconditional love expressed in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape in the Greek, chav, C-H-A-V in Aramaic, and av, A-H-A-V in Hebrew. In Hebrew and Aramaic have a fourth word for loving, which is tender mercy, which is rasham. Chav flows from one person to another 
but Rasham flows completely around the circle, meaning that I love you and you love me back. Chav is a one-way street, and many of us are those type of love people. We love one way, and it's all about us. But when we get to Rasham, we're talking about a love that not only takes care of you, but it circles back to the people that you love. Love comes in many forms, but biblical love is always circular. We love God, and thus we love each other. It is impossible to love God and to hate each other. It is impossible for us to love God and to abuse each other. It is impossible for us to love God and to mistreat each other. The food program, for example, and those who are out serving, those who are hungry, those who are homeless, are really giving us a perfect example of Rasham. That I'm going to go put on a mask, gloves, and take myself into an environment that might be dangerous, but because I have such a great love for God, I'm going to make myself secondary, and I'm going to trust God to take care of me as I go out to do the Lord's work. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you is love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. But every now and then, we need to take some time to reflect on how Jesus loved us. And Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's impossible to be the church of Jesus Christ if we do not have love. It's impossible for us to be the people of God if we do not have love. The word says that because God so loved Chab, the world, that he gave. Because you love God, what have you given? Because you love the Lord, what have you sacrificed? Because you love the Lord, what evidence is there in your life that you truly love the Lord? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We want to be rewarded for everything. We want to be acknowledged for everything. We want thank you notes when we really didn't do a lot. We want to be lifted up when we only did what God told us to do. But the word says that God gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have that kind of love? Do you have a burning passion inside to do what's right in the name of Jesus? As much as we value love, our love pales when we compare it to the breadth and death of God's love for all his children. But God, our Heavenly Father, loves all of his children. Yes, God is disappointed when we, uh, when we disrespect him or disobey him. But God is mindful of every people, whatsoever land they may be in. God's love never fails. Can the church say amen? Aren't you thankful that God's love never fails? Regardless of what mess I'm in and how much I mess up, God's love never fails. While our love sometimes falls short, be shallow, or even be selfish, but God's love is steadfast, according to Isaiah. Jeremiah says that God's love is everlasting, thank you, God, and selfless. 
And God's love is dependable, and God's love is honored every day because God shows his love to us. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 45, that he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Thank you, Jesus. And he sent his rain on the just and on the unjust. I have been blessed reading about Israel and their relationship with God because it reminds me of us. God blesses us. God gives us what we ask for. Most of the time, God exceeds our expectations. And over and over and over again, we turn our backs on God. It's 70 years now, and the captivity is over, and they're in this foreign land, and the wall has been built, and now it's time for them to find restoration in their homes and in the temple. And Nehemiah is bold enough to tell the people exactly what the Lord said. You go back and read Nehemiah chapter number 8, you will see that the people begin to respond to hearing the word of God. It's important that we hear the word of God. Because when we hear the word of God, we are convicted by the word of God. In chapter 9, the people confessed their sins before God. It's impossible to hear the word of God and plead not guilty. It's impossible to sit and look proper and pretty or handsome when you have not done the will of God. And now in verse, in chapter number 10, the people are ready to move forward. But Pastor Joseph, the key point here is that the people did not create a new agreement with God. They decided to finally live up to their original agreement with God. And so what we find here is that Israel had a pattern of behavior. They would rebel, return, repent. Rebel, return, repent. You have people like that in your family, right? They rebel, they return, they repent. They rebel, they return. It's a cycle. And what the Lord wants us to see is that I don't want your messy behavior. I want your heart and I want your commitment to me. And so what the Lord was saying to them in this chapter, in the later part, is there are three things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to separate from the world. And people are still thinking that I can have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. It doesn't work. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church with the Lord. You're either all in or you're all out. You cannot party all night Saturday night and all week and hang out with people who don't know Jesus and show up and lead the church in worship. You cannot hang around in the world all week doing things that worldly people do and get all sanctified on Sunday morning. You cannot show up and try to be before God Almighty, pure and holy, when you have spent no time at all with the Lord all week. You see, the Lord will expose us for what we really are. And the Lord will tell the people and let them know that ain't nothing happening over there. The Lord will let others know where you've been, what you've been doing, and why you cannot get that song of praise up all you try. And so what Nehemiah said is that you got to do what the Lord said. And the Lord said, separate yourself from the world. 
You got to separate yourself from the world. You can't be married and hang out with all single people. Because I've discovered if you hang out with single people, you do what single people do. And I've discovered that you can't be the only married coach in the group. You got to take one side or the other. One of the reasons that I stopped doing personal counseling is that I discovered that people really don't want to change. It's all they really want to do is tell you how bad the other person is. And then they don't really want to take responsibility for their actions. But what Nehemiah is trying to get us to see is that God's love has an accountability factor. And that we love the Lord, we got to live the way God wants us to live. And many of us fail in marriages and relationships because it's either my way or no way. And we cannot have a marriage, hear me, without the spirit of Almighty God. And so people who get married, thinking that I'll fix you up, later on we're gonna get married and then i'm gonna introduce you to jesus we're gonna get married and then i'm gonna show you what the holy ghost looks like you see what we're learning here is that we gotta stay in our lane and we gotta be able to deal with people on the level that god deals with them and so we must understand is that we must live by godly standards every day and we must realize that we're not God. We can't change anybody. We can't change ourselves. So why would we think we can change somebody else? So daily, we must apply God's standards to all areas of our lives. And the second point that Nehemiah makes is that we must honor the Sabbath. Most of us have forgotten what the Sabbath means. We have an attitude when people say we ought to shut down on the Sabbath, give God just a little time. But God said, there's some things that I don't want you doing on the Sabbath. I don't want you selling goods, and I don't want you outside the church trying to make $5, and I don't want you doing things that are just not spiritually principled. I'll never forget, I repented for this as I was studying at True Light Missionary Baptist Church in Pritchett, Alabama. We used to have fish fries and chicken dinners. How can you have a chicken dinner? You take in the chicken, you got to buy the chicken, you got to cook all day, and then you're going to be in the kitchen all sweaty. You got to buy the oil. You got to fry the chicken. And nobody comes to buy the chicken. So you end up giving everything to the church. Well, you could have given the church $5, and everybody would have been happy. And so what we got to understand is that God expects us to take care of this house. And God expects us to do the right thing. What I learned from all of that is that God wants us to give from our hearts and only give what God has given to you. If God has given you nothing, give nothing. But if God has blessed you, bless the house of the Lord. And I finally had to stand up for myself and say, I'm not frying any more chicken. I'm not frying any fish. And I'm not making any more of that potato salad. I don't like it anyway because I'm going to give the Lord what I have from my heart. It's time for us to understand there's power in being with the Lord. Don't let anybody trick you into believing that God wants us to sell up, have a farmer's market in the church to maintain the Lord's house. Get real. The Lord wants us to treat this house better than we treat our own house. And thirdly, what the Lord said to the people is that, I want you to take care of my house. I was glad to see Trustee Rayford going around, wiping down the house, 
with his uh, Clorox wipes. Glad to see him over here looking at the doorknobs and taking care of the Lord's house because this is the Lord's house and we ought to take care of the Lord's house. And what I have learned over the years is that we must be faithful to God when it comes to supporting the work of God's house. And many of us do not ever want to hear a sermon on stewardship, but real stewardship is taking what God has given to you and making an investment in the kingdom of God. I preached one sermon out of the prophet Haggai, and I went to uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. And it was the church's anniversary, I think, Deacon Gino. And I preached about uh, Haggai. It's in chapter 1. You should read it. And actually, God sent the prophet Haggai to tell the people to give careful thought to your ways, and you have planned much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never get full. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty said, give careful thought to your ways. Get up in the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. In other words, the Lord said, if you live in a mansion, I should live in one too. The Lord is saying is that if you have oriental rugs, I should have some too. <laughs> the Lord is saying if your timber is good and one rot, mine shouldn't either. And the people were kept telling God what they had excuses for. And the Lord said, I blew away, declares the Lord, because of my house which remains in ruin. While each of you is busy with his own house, therefore because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and earth is crossed. In other words, God has an attitude when we don't do what we're supposed to do. God has a reaction when we don't give the way that we're supposed to give. And what I find so fascinating about this whole message is that in spite of what we are and what we have done, that we have the blessing of God's amazing in spite of diabetes and obesity and other things that the press is saying is wrong with African Americans, and in spite of all the fact that we're still eating, that God has still kept us alive. When we look back at our journey and we look back at the decisions we've made, all we can do is say, Lord, have mercy on me. And so on this day, I, I confess that it was God's amazing grace. I stand to say it was God's amazing grace that taught my heart to fear and grace. My fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first the Lord has been my everything. The Lord is my everything. And I hope on this day that your relationship with God will be changed as you realize that we all exist because of God's amazing grace. When we have been there 10,000 years, like shining as the sun with 
bogus days to sing God's praise. And then we first begun. God's grace, a worthy response in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And now we move to the invitation. someone who wants to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. We extend the invitation.